Lesson 15 on page 92. So the question posed to us this morning is a question asked by Jesus during his ministry. The question posed is, where are the nine? Where are the nine? Before we get too far into it, let's go ahead and read the text. If somebody will pick up uh, Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. Luke 17, 11 through 19. In verse 19. All right. Thank you very much, Sam. Um, so before we get too deep into it, let's just make some observations here. Uh, where are we at? When are we at? What's going on? Oh, man, y'all got to wake up. It's going to be a long class if I can't get participation this morning. I don't have a whole lot of material. Right? Right, so, so our win is later in his ministry, right? Because he's heading to Jerusalem. And we know as he gets into Jerusalem that the, the account of Jesus' ministry comes to a close. And so he's headed that way, and he's in this border region, is what it talks about, right? Uh, if we look at verse, I hate when I do this, uh, verse 11, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. Now, what was significant about Samaria? It was home to the, yeah, the Samaritans, right? Strangers, right? Jesus says foreigner later in on the text. Um, so he's passing through. He's kind of in this between region of Samaria and Galilee. And we'll, we'll revisit that later. Um, so yeah, we're in Jesus' ministry. Jesus is out teaching, walking along the road, and these lepers cry out to him. So let's take a minute to kind of understand and appreciate the situation that these men were in. Understanding leprosy a little bit. I'm going to start by reading uh, Brother Brownlow's introductory paragraph, actually. I thought it was pretty good. Um, page 92. 
of bullet point one right underneath the title. In the history of civilization, no disease has been more dreaded and loathsome than leprosy. It has produced years of indescribable misery. The disease advances slowly but surely. The hair is bleached white. The body becomes a mass of scales and sores. The bones and marrow are pervaded. The joints separate. The fingers, toes, and other members fall off one by one, leaving a body hideous and awful. Life lingers amidst desolation, dooming the wretched victim to die piecemeal. Everywhere the doomed goes, the crowd pulls back and yells, unclean, unclean. God's regulations under the law dealing with leprosy are given in Leviticus 13 and 14. Let's go ahead and turn it over there. Let's spend a few minutes over in Leviticus. Something you don't always hear in your, in your Bible classes, right? Now let's go to Leviticus 13 specifically, because I did have a couple of verses I wanted to, to draw to your attention. Kind of our supplemental text this morning. Uh, Leviticus chapter 13... I'm going to read verses 45 and 46. As for the leper who has the infection, his clothes shall be torn, and the hair of his head shall be uncovered, and he shall cover his mustache and cry, Unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean all the days during which he has the infection. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Now, as the, as the lesson book said, uh, all of chapter 13 and 14 in Leviticus, well, all of 13 and, yeah, all of 14, talk about leprosy. It talks about diagnosing leprosy. It talks about how the priest should handle cases of leprosy and um, examining uh, the, the leper and what happens to the leper, right? That they live outside the camp, the, the lifestyle that they are left to live because of this condition, having these skin sores, having these lesions all over their body, these painful, um, painful sores, uh, is a miserable experience. Not only the physical side of it, but the social side of it. All right? Why does the leper live outside the camp? Why can't they just go about their business? Contagious, right? You notice it says here, they cover their mouth when they walk around. They yell unclean so that people coming near them know to stay away, to keep their distance. And they live isolated, okay? Essentially, they live in quarantine. And if you don't know what that word means by now, you might have been in quarantine yourself. But that's the experience these people dealt with. And some of you might be able to relate to some of that over the past couple of years. But that was their life, Right? And they were suffering the entire time. They weren't doing it out of precaution. They were doing it because they were afflicted. And they were going to continue to be afflicted, right? For many, there was no end in sight, okay? And that's the situation that these ten lepers find themselves in when Jesus walks along the road. And so what is their reaction? Yeah, I mean, if you're suffering from a disease from which there is no cure and someone walks up and you know this person's been doing miracles, aren't you going to jump up and cry out as well? Right? So what do they do? They, they beg Jesus for mercy. Now, before we get too far into Jesus' response, I do want to, to bring out what I thought was kind of an interesting point. And again, I'm just going to kind of sprinkle this throughout the lesson because we'll get back to it later. But these lepers were living together, right? 
at least to some extent, they were with each other. There was a group of them on the side of the road. I think it's interesting, later we will learn that one of these is a Samaritan. What is, significance, or what is significant about the fact that there was a Samaritan in this group of presumably Jewish lepers? Right? Could you say that louder? I'm sorry. Right, they didn't care for one another. They, the, the Jews considered them lesser, right? So then what does that tell you about the situation of these ten lepers? Okay, so we're not, we're not there yet, though. I'm talking about, like, before they meet Jesus, they're still together. They were all lepers. Right, so, so yeah. So the point I want to bring out is that the barriers that existed, right, between the Samaritans and Jews apparently didn't apply at this point, you know? The situation that they were in, in a sense, had brought them together. It doesn't really matter if you're a Samaritan or a Jew if you're a leper, right? You're all lepers. You're all cast out. And so where you're from is not quite as important And you can think about maybe times in your life where you have uh, faced adversity with other people and your differences aren't quite as important when you're all having to band together, right? And I think that's kind of a situation we see here is that, yes, there's this animosity between the Jews and Samaritans, but when we're all outcast and it's just us, we're going to learn to ignore that because we're all that we have, right? So I thought that was kind of interesting to point out. And again, I'm going to sprinkle the Samaritan thing throughout the lesson. So, so what does Jesus do? They, they cry out. They, they heard of Jesus somehow. They know that he can do miracles. They know that he can heal. And so what's Jesus' response? Go see the priest. Now, I think this is kind of interesting because like, we don't get any lesson, right? Jesus doesn't stop and do any kind of teaching you know, verbally at least. Um, he just cuts straight to the point, right? He, he doesn't stop and, and, and give any sort of sermon or anything. He responds to them immediately with, with action. Um, turn to, if you're still in Leviticus, turn to uh, chapter 14, verse 2. And let's go ahead and read two verse, uh, verses 2 through 5. This shall be the law of the leper in the day of his cleansing. Now he shall be brought to the priest, and the priest shall go out to outside the camp. Thus the priest shall look, and if the infection of leprosy has been healed in the leper, then the priest shall give orders to take two live clean birds and cedar wood and a scarlet string and hyssop for the one who is to be cleansed. Now, as you continue in the reading, you'll, you'll see how the instructions to the priest of what they're supposed to do um, for the cleansing of the leper. Point being, what Jesus commands here is what the Scripture says, right? He, he prescribes the exact um, part of the old law that the lepers should observe if they were to be cleansed. Now, what's the difference, or what are some differences, 
between what the law says and how it would have been practiced in the Old Testament versus what Jesus is telling these lepers to do. Anyone see any differences? So when you're going to the priest, you at least already have a reason to believe that you could pass the examination, right? If you're being referred to the priest, then that means there must be something, something's, you know, some, the, the skin is broke or something seems to be healed. And so you're going to go to the priest and the priest is going to examine you and see if you actually are clean and then do the rituals. We don't see any evidence of that here in this account. Jesus tells them to go as they are, right? It's not as if Jesus heals them and then sends them to the priest as you would in Leviticus. Jesus tells them to go to the priest without having healed them first. Does this, does this remind you of anything else in Scripture, any other situations in Scripture? Yeah, told the blind man, okay. Anyone else? Someone being told to do something before the actual reason that they might have done it? Say Naaman? Yeah, yeah, I was thinking of him too. Yeah, so go dip in the Jordan to heal your leprosy, right? That was kind of confusing to him didn't really seem to match up with his expectations, right? But Jesus gave him a task to do, and he found himself, well, not Jesus in this situation, but, you know, Elisha, gave him a task to do, and he found himself healed, right? Obeying God. So the point then, I think, that we're trying to see in this particular section of Luke is that how did the cleansing come? Faith and... Obedience, right? And obedient faith, right? We see both because it obviously takes faith to believe what Christ said and to do what he said. And then through the act, we, they find themselves healed. Let's go to First Peter real quick. I just wanted to kind of bring a, a small uh, companion verse, I guess, in, in a way to help kind of reinforce this thought. First uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 22 I'll go ahead and read 22 and 23. Since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and enduring word of God. Now, when Peter's writing here, how have they purified their souls, the people he's writing to? Obedience. In obedience, you have purified your souls, right? And don't you see a parallel here that in obedience to Christ, the lepers were cleansed, right? As we start to build up application, we want to remember these things. Last observation, of course, is that how many lepers returned? One. And what does that leper do when he returns? He praises God and he gives thanks, right? The other nine appear to have been cleansed, but they don't come back. So what's the lesson then for us? 
right? I'm getting, a, getting into the application a little early, but I have a purpose for that. Um, the lesson for us is gratitude, right? And if you read Brother Brownlow's um, lesson, I, I don't want to be just kind of reading it to you. You can do that yourself. But he talks about gratitude, right? His, his entire lesson is built on the idea of us showing gratitude. And his is more on the negative side, not negative as in pessimistic, but negative as in like showing ingratitude, right? Not showing gratitude, focusing on those nine lepers. Um, the sin of being ungrateful. But I want to pose the question, why did the one leper return? He was truly thankful for the healing, for the blessing he received. Okay. Anyone else? Yeah, that, that's a good point, too, is this being a Samaritan, right, Jesus being a Jew, healing him seems rather significant compared to healing another Jew, right? It seems as though the, the gulf there was a little wider, and so he probably appreciated it more. They may have, okay, the Jews may have expected it, whereas the Samaritan might not have. Yeah, and we see that, that mindset appreciated by Christ during his ministry, right? That humble mindset of, I don't deserve this, and I, I don't really expect it in a sense, but I want to ask because if anyone could, it would be Jesus, right? And that's praised throughout Jesus' ministry when, when people have that mindset. And you see the people with that mindset are the ones that are thankful. The rest may take it for granted. So, so why, why did the nine not return, right? Now we're getting into Jesus' question. Where are the nine, and, and why did they not come back? Right, and perhaps they, were, they just went back about their business and, and kind of took it for granted, which... Think about this, right? These are lepers, okay? He did not cure them of a cold. He cured them of leprosy. Who knows how long they had been in the situation. But from their perspective, they were probably facing it for the rest of their lives. And yet, this quickly, they were able to apparently take it for granted. I'm glad you mentioned that. All right, so yes. So a good point, talking about those of us who might have been brought up, quote, in the church versus those who were maybe converted later in life and how our perspectives are different and how our level of gratitude might be different. Um, I don't want to... I don't want to talk down Brother Brownlow's lesson because he taught, he's teaching a different lesson in his book than the lesson that I wanted to present today. But I want to try to go a step further because I think if we just stop at general gratitude, we might just be getting milk. 
and I didn't see this pop up anywhere in my research, but I don't think I'm the first one to point it out, but maybe this might be a more meaty portion of the lesson that, that hopefully you'll appreciate. Let's go one step further in understanding the story. Because ultimately we want to understand what it means for us, right? I mean, great for these lepers that they were healed, but ultimately I need to figure out how does this apply to me and how is this going to affect my life? So let's consider some symbolism here. I want to, I want to put in some symbolism into this text. I, I think it, the more I look at it, the more it makes sense. And so I hope you'll, I hope you'll agree with me, but if not, you're also welcome to dispute. Um, I think it would be a good discussion either way. But let's look at some symbolism. Imagine for a moment, think about when Jesus taught parables and the symbolism he used. Let's apply that to this encounter. This whole idea of these lepers being cleansed, who do the lepers represent? Sinners, right? Lepers would represent sinners. Leprosy serves as a great symbol for sin, right? It's awful. It's hard to get rid of, right? And ultimately, we can't cure it on our own. And so I think whenever you're looking at a biblical story or an account that talks about leprosy, I want you to take a step back and think about sin. When you're trying to figure out application, think about leprosy representing sin in my life. All right? So that's good. It's a good start. But now let's get into, oh, before I do that, um, let's go back to Naaman, right? Think about Naaman. Consider symbolism in Naaman's story. Same issue, leprosy, and he's told to do what? Dip in the Jordan, okay. Does that look familiar to anybody? Going into a body of water to get rid of an incurable disease? Yeah, that might sound a little familiar, right? It might look like baptism to remove sin, right? And if you... If you do a study on the Jordan River, which is, is pretty interesting if you ever have the time, you look at the Jordan River, the Jordan River represents transition, right, in the Bible. Whenever someone comes to the Jordan River, they come out different. Whether it's God's people crossing the Jordan River, whether it's Naaman being dipped in the Jordan River, or even Christ, right, being baptized, and his ministry begins. The Jordan River represents transition. And so I think... I think Naaman and, and this account and, and Luke really, you know, uh, bolster each other when you're trying to understand application. But yeah, so let's go, let's continue into, this, into the symbolism. Okay, so leprosy represents sin, all right? What about the camp? Think about the camp in Leviticus. The lepers were outside the camp. I should have waited to put this up. Don't look. Come up with the answer on your own. What does the camp represent? Yeah, God's people, right? The camp that they are outside of, God's people, the church, the kingdom of God. If you're looking for Old Testament symbolism into the new or Old Testament um, foreshadowing into the new, think about the camp of the Israelites representing the church or representing God's kingdom. Well, who's outside of God's kingdom? Sinners, which we've already established, can be represented by leprosy, right? So the sinners are outside of the kingdom, the lepers are outside of the camp. They're quarantined. They're unclean, right? All right, let's continue. Um, so, so Jesus 
tells them to go to the priest. All right? Old Testament. Okay, so New Testament. Who's the priest in this case? In this case, I believe it's God, right? Now, we understand that Jesus is our high priest. I think for the symbolism purposes, there are, I believe the priest in this account represents God because Jesus is already part of the story, right? Jesus is already serving his role. And so when Jesus tells these lepers to go see the priest, what symbol do we draw from that? Repentance, yeah. I think it's part of it, yeah. Jesus tells the sinners, or sorry, the lepers, to go to the priest. Their obedience cleanses them. Jesus tells the sinners, again, obedience, right? Through their obedience, they can now approach who? I think I heard it a little louder. Hmm? God, right? And don't, don't we see that mentioned in the New Testament, that now we can approach God without any sort of apprehension because we've been cleansed by our obedience to Christ, right? And so we see the symbolism, again, I think, showing up here. Well, what is our obedience? You mentioned repentance. What else? Yeah, I mean, following the will of God in general, right? That, that obedient faith... That repentance, confessing Christ, baptism, living a faithful life, I think all of that comes together, and that is represented by the leper's obedience to go see the priest. And through that, Christ cleanses us just as he cleansed the lepers. And that allows us to then approach God wherefore, or where before we could not, because we have Christ on our behalf and because Christ has cleansed us, cleanse us through our obedience. Whereas before we couldn't, just as the lepers could not go to the priest. And, going back to um, the whole going before you're healed, right? You start off a sinner, then you obey, you're able to approach God. It's not as if you're approaching God before you're healed, before you're cleansed, Right? So, anyway, I don't see anyone's eyes, like, blown open and, and, and in shock, so maybe I didn't surprise anyone else. But when I was studying this week, I thought that was a really interesting thing that popped out at me, is understanding the parallels between this account and the situation that we find ourselves in today. Uh, I'd look. Yes? Okay. Right. Right. Yes. Right. Right. Um, let's let's read Hebrews four fourteen through sixteen real quick, and then I'm going to get to that. Hebrews four uh, fourteen through sixteen. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And I think 
when you're looking to apply this account to your life, I think that's where you're going to be drawn. At least one of the places you'll be drawn is understanding what we've been given and seeing the parallels to what Jesus gave here. Now, what about the Samaritan, right? That's, that's kind of the thing that I wanted to keep coming back to. Um, if we continue looking into some parallels and some symbolism in this verse, what does the Samaritan represent? Because the Samaritan was different, part of the group of lepers, but different in that the Samaritan came back and expressed gratitude. And ultimately, that's the, the main focus of this lesson, is this whole idea of gratitude. And we're going to come back to that now. What does a Samaritan represent? Yeah, I think Gentiles is at least one way to look at it, probably the way I would go. Understanding that, that you had Jews and Gentiles, and you will see later in the New Testament, um, I, I believe Paul talking with the Jews, having done what to the gospel? They accept or reject it. They rejected it, right? And so I'm going to teach the Gentiles, and guess what? The Gentiles are appreciative. The Gentiles showed gratitude. And perhaps this is a foreshadowing of that, where the Jews, having been brought up in God's religion at the time, right, still would take it for granted. Whereas the Samaritan or the Gentiles having not been a part of that, or having been outcast from that, would not take it for granted. Okay? Um, so then, understanding that, I want to add one more layer to it. So think about, Think, think back in the Old Testament, think of Leviticus, think of God's people in the Old Testament, and where did they struggle? How did they struggle? They, 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 can struggled, they struggled in their consistency, in their faith, right? Um, what did they get right? This is especially prominent in Jesus' ministry when he speaks with the Pharisees. What did they, what did they understand? What part of the old law did they understand? Uh, yeah, they knew the Messiah was coming. They knew someone was coming, right? They, they may not have accepted, accepted Jesus as the Messiah, but they, they did look forward to a Messiah. A lot of times, Jesus would be frustrated with them because they did not understand the purpose of the ceremonies that they followed, right? The Jews understood ritual. The Jews understood ceremony. And they followed that faithfully to the point of excluding or losing sight of the spiritual aspect, right? And a lot of Jesus' frustration with the Jews in his ministry is that you're doing the rituals, you're doing the ceremonies, but your heart's not in it, right? You don't understand the purpose behind it. You're keeping the Sabbath, but you're hurting my work in the process, right? Those kinds of issues are what I'm kind of thinking about. The point being... If we look at this story and we look at the Jews and the Samaritan, what did the Jewish lepers do right? 
They went to the priest as they were instructed. They followed the ceremony. Okay? What did they not do right? Give glory to God, give glory to Jesus. They did not get the spiritual aspect of it, right? They were so caught up in the ceremony that they neglected to be thankful. And so I think that's another kind of parallel where you can take the Old Testament, apply it to the New. It's important for us to understand, too, because what can happen to us, especially those of us brought up in the church? You can, you can get comfortable, you can get caught up in ceremony, you can get caught up in traditions, right? You can get caught up in God's Word. That's what happened to many of the Jews, but they lost sight of why, and they lost sight of the purpose, and they lost sight of their gratefulness for their salvation, okay? So I, I, hope, um, I hope you guys can follow me this morning. I'm kind of all over the place, but I, keep, I just keep seeing these applications here. Don't be the Jewish leper who gets so caught up in the ritual of Christian life that you forget to thank God for your salvation, right? Keep perspective on where you came from and who you were and who you're trying to be and don't let the daily grind of being a Christian, don't let the habits and the traditions in the the weekly ceremony, if you will, don't let that be your only experience when following Christ. And we've strayed a little bit from the Samaritan here, but I think, I think that helps get this idea across, is ultimately, I think this lesson for us is about keeping the perspective of who we were and where we were and where we came from, because for some of us, that's challenging. For some, some of us, it's easier to do, because we have a better appreciation for, as, from where we came from, our background, our experiences, and it's easier for, for some people to appreciate and understand what's been given to them because they didn't take it for granted to start with. But for some of us, many of us, perhaps we do take it for granted. And so I think this is a warning for us to not be wrapped up in what we've always done, but to continue to keep a mindset of gratitude uh, for where we're at. And of course, one other thing I want to point out, this thankfulness is, is this given before or after being cleansed by the lepers? It's after, right? So if the cleansing represents obedience and baptism and, and living a faithful life, then the challenge to be thankful is for who? Christians, right? This story is for us. Um, there's the parallel to be made between the Gentiles and the Jews, but ultimately I think the difference between the Samaritan and the Jewish lepers applies to the difference between people in the church as well because all of those had the opportunity to be thankful after they were cleansed. And if we, you know, sometimes we take the, uh, the parable of the sower and we like to just mathematically represent that 25% of the people you try to teach will respond. If that's the case and we apply that to this story, what do you take away from the perspective of people in the church? How many are grateful? 10%? One out of 10 people? 
Now, I don't think we necessarily need to apply that, but per perhaps just to think about it a little bit. The minority of the people who have been saved understand their situation and actually fully appreciate it. And the challenge is on us to be the one, not the nine. True, good point. Right, so with the Israelites, he always had a remnant that was faithful, but the majority was not faithful. And like Roger said, those of us who are the one definitely want to be reaching out to the nine. You don't want to be satisfied with being, uh, you know, the minority that's, that's faithful. Um, so really just to leave it with you guys this morning, I think the bell's about to ring. Uh, full application here, what causes us to forget to show gratitude? And specifically, what causes us to forget to show gratitude for our salvation, as we see here in this text? How can we better remember to show gratitude to God? How can I remind myself on a daily basis or a weekly basis, when I'm doing the things that I've always done, how do I keep a fresh perspective and, and remember what it really means and not just get lost in the ceremony? and not get lost in following, just following the text and doing what the text does? How do I keep my perspective on what it actually means for me? All right, well, that's our class for this morning. You get a few seconds back. You're welcome. Um, I appreciate your attention. I hope it was informative. I hope it was challenging. Uh, let's see. I think next week we'll just be continuing into the next lesson. So if you want to look ahead a little bit, You'll be wanting to look at Luke 24, 26. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things? Thank you very much.